Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your Witches and a Druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Canadian podcast about paganism in today's modern society. And now, Three Witches and the Druid Podcast present Shenka. In the backwoods of a farming town, among the trailers and the shacks. Another broken and unwanted child Somehow slipped right through the cracks Close your eyes and make them disappear All the lonely and downtrodden Another child, another souvenir Sacrifice of the forgotten Listen closely, you can hear the sound 
midnight morning on the weekend Lamentations of ten thousand souls Who paid the price for all your sin Where do the lost children go? The abandoned sons and daughters Ask the wind, I think she'll know everybody and welcome back to three witches and a druid we this time are on zoom for a multitude of reasons and we like to talk about our lives as modern pagans i'm margo i'm Maeve. and i'm brian so we have a special guest today so i just want to clarify because most of our listeners come here for the incredible opinions of four middle-class white people and it's very uneducational and it's just us spewing opinions well tonight (laughs) we have an actual guest who is educated and knows what they're talking about and i just want to be sure that no one out there is like we're not setting the bar too high here like don't expect this all the time from us this is a one-time deal is what you get be happy with it. <laughs> so I want to I want to thank Drum, the Archduke of ADF, for joining us, and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I know who you are because I see you almost once a week. The other three ladies here know nothing about you. Well, they might know a little bit. I don't know. I read from a Commonwealth. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Uh, my name is John Pagano, also known as Drum. It's easier to say. And living here in the States, my name is Jean, J-E-A-N. So it's mispronounced on a daily basis. So Drum is really easy and monosyllabic. I'm a Druid. Uh, I live here in uh, Toledo, Ohio in the States. I lived in Canada for three years in Edmonton, which was a wonderful experience. I miss it a lot. I've been a Druid for a really long time. Uh, this is my... 39th year in ADF, and I'm a neo-pagan. I think I've, I've been pagan for a really long time. I just didn't have a name for it. Just to give you a brief introduction, when I was in grade eight, I studied Edith Hamilton's mythology and studying about the Greek gods. And we had this test, and the test said, the Greek gods are still worshipped today. And that seemed really easy to me. I said, true. And I got the test back and it said false. And I was I was crestfallen. I thought, how could this be? They're so real. And so that was really my first kind of educated foray into paganism. It just made sense that there were these multiplicity of deities in the world. And it wasn't really until a little while later that I had a name for it. I read a book called uh, The View Over Atlantis by John Mitchell, where he talked about paganism being the, uh, the old religion. Then I had a name for it. But... Uh, 
I'm a druid. I'm a polytheist. I'm a tree hugger. I, I'm really happy to be here and, uh, you know, happy to impart the little knowledge that I have. Brian gave a big send up there, but I'm just a person like everyone else. But it's really good to be here. Excellent. So you told us what sort of brought you into paganism, but what brought you on to the druid path specifically? Well, I think that I just, you know, I think that there are certain things that you experience in life that you can't quantify at first. And But I always felt an affinity to the trees and the nature. It was something very close to me. And I, I really didn't feel that I was separate from that, but kind of a part of it. And uh, I read a book called Drawing Down the Moon in 1979 or 1980, and it talked about different paths. And while I was very familiar with witchcraft, when I read about the new reformed druids of North America, it really kind of resonated with me. And so I, I wrote to the person who was listed there and asked them for more information about New Reformed Druids of North America. And they said, well, here's some information, but I'm starting this new group called ADF. And, you know, you can get on in the ground floor for only $35. <laughs> so <laughs> what does great. ADF stand for? What's the that? What's that stand for? It stands for Arnriacht Fane. And it means you can pronounce it better than I can. It's uh, <laughs> our own Druidry or our, our own faith. It's a, a neo-pagan path. It's a Druidry path. It just so happened that the, the first names were, you know, wasn't Gaelic. Although not all the people in ADF are, are Gaelic based, that's for sure. So that's that's what brought me there, and I I, I started looking into our DNA and uh, and our DNA and ADF especially. It just I kind of fell into that practice and kind of it was kind of a blended practice. I joined ADF in 1984, and I really didn't attend my first ADF ritual in person until 2000 and something. So for all those years, I you know had these books and magazines that I followed, and then when I first saw my real in-person ritual, I was like, oh, well, that's how they do it. I mean, we were close, but, uh, you know, practice is practice. It doesn't have to be exact. Uh, right. So, so for a really long time, you were uh, a solo practitioner. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've just recently joined an online virtual growth. I did. I was really, I've really been impressed with the work that they've done. And I think that we're all solitaries, regardless of where, whether we're in a group or not. And I, I think, you know, our own altars and hearths at home, you know, we practice in a solo manner. It just occasionally we get together as a congregation. So I think I, I really like what this virtual program has done. And I was kind of championed the creation of that. And I'm, you know, very happy to be part of it. So. Excellent. So, what is your definition of a druid and what what makes a druid different than other pagan paths? That's really a good question. And I um, I think that a druid really is, you know, it's a nature aware religion or a nature facing or a, a nature centered religion. And I think that many of them are, you know, I think that Wicca or witchcraft surely is, you know, has a natural component to it. And I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush because I don't mean to offend anyone because, you know, I have a a traditional a practitioner of witchcraft that lives in the same house that I do. So um, <laughs> I have to be careful. Watch out. <laughs> I have to be careful with what I say. And I know for them, it's, it's really much the same path. I know that much what separates Druidry or at least my version of Druidry, neo-pagan Druidry from others, is that it is polytheistic. You know, I think duotheism, Lord and Lady kind of stuff, that's also polytheistic uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I've always said that my gods have names. 
for me, it's more important than just a title. While I may refer to my deities as Lord, you know, Lord or Lady uh, as a designation, not necessarily as a singular title, you know, I think that Druidry is about nature. It's about the practitioner finding their place in nature or refinding their place in nature, you know, kind of getting into that flow, into that movement. And I think that our practice is really about finding that flow. You know, it's it's kind of the watercourse way where it's the path least resistance. I think that when we finally get to the flow, you know, we move with it. It carries us along. We don't have to be the rock and the river that the water moves around. We become the leaf and the stream that is carried along with them. And that's part of the practice. So I see that, you know, Druidry is just about finding our place in nature, understanding the gods, understanding our ancestors and, and those points in between, and then just going with it. It's like the Tai Chi of religion. You know, it's these these movements that just flow together. I think many of us have much the same attitude, and the same history. Oh, we read a book a long time ago and the same connection with nature and how we fit into it. It's all sort of a common pagan theme, I think. I think it's a misconception and I don't think I'm the only one. But when I first started reading about the ADF and some other Druid groups, I was genuinely surprised because in my mind, they were connected to Gaelic or, or pantheons from a certain culture, you know, like in a certain geographical area. But that's not the way it's practiced, eh? In ADF, we really feel that we break our practices down into what we call hearths. And those hearths are really identified to pagan practices that existed in the past. And the ones that we follow are, are along what, you know, what I would call the Indo-European spectrum, any place that the Indo-European language was practiced. So that's from Connacht in the west of Ireland, all the way to the Indus River Valley in India at all points in between. And I think it's because in looking at those, at the way they practiced, they shared certain commonalities of polytheism of fire, of, of some of the symbols that we use. And so when we talk about those practices as an organization or as especially as practicing units like groves or, or proto-groves, they usually follow those hearth practices. What we do in our own hearths and our own altars is really up to us. And while I think that there are members who are pagans, I think that there are members who are not. I think there are members who have no religion or members who are Christians who are Christo-pagans or, or th for that matter. And I think those are small numbers, but yes, our practices, you know, follow that Indo-European spectrum. And I then that's, that's where we find that commonality. But I think on an individual level, what we do outside of that is really, you know, our own affairs. And I think that in the beginning, it really was. It was very much, it looked really Gaelic in the early days. If you look at the writing, it was, oh, here's a, here's a ritual in Gaelic. But I think that's changed. I mean, I know that some of the rituals that I've done span many, many spectrums. You know, you're not going to find an ADF Druid publicly doing a Native American rite or a Kemetic rite um, or something of that nature, although they could do that at home. <laughs> Long answer, short question, sorry. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. You've been a member of ADF for, you said, 38 years? It's 30, uh, May, uh, May 10th, 83, 39 years. Tell us about the early days of ADF. 
Well, that was uh, it was really pretty interesting. There was this thing that came out, you know, in the early days of, of paganism, uh, at least in my experience with like the Reformed Druids of North America and ADF, there was this, the mimeograph was like this great device. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so what you got when you jo- joined ADF, uh, I got this thing called Druid's Progress Number One, which was a book, which was a mimeograph sheet that had um, a bunch of stuff about ADF. And you could see ADF being formed and kind of the thought processes coming of it. ADF is a, a child, I will say, of RDNA and NRDNA. That's the beginnings of Druidry in North America. Uh, at least in my opinion, 1963. And so what we see in the early EDF is a lot of components that were present in, in our DNA. The Earth Mother, an omen, you know, the the idea of, of deities and sacrifice, those were very common things. And so what we saw in the early days was, you know, this formation happening slowly while the while a Druid's progress, which was our our link to the, the, you know, the Mother Church, if we can call it that, came up very slowly, you know, once or twice a year, if that. And so we were kind of like waiting with bated breath for the next one to come out. And so, you know, we just, I just started looking at what they said and then, you know, kind of taking it from there. And so in the early days, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of wide open spaces. And most of ADF was concentrated in the New York area, the Ohio area, just because that's where most of the members were. And then then we started to spread. So now we're in all around the world. It's wonderful that you've managed to survive all this time. The organization is kept up and that that's very, very nice. A lot of times things begin and they, they end up falling apart or they don't have enough members or the case might be this is really impressive it stayed together this long a big part of it is um there's a there's a person brian foxwood who made a comment many years ago who said he said the real test of of an organization is when a charismatic leader passes and what we've had is i'm the sixth archdruid of adf and we've had five other archdruids and so there has been this this transition of power from one person to another. And the transition has been, you know, I think fairly smooth. I mean, there's there's always ripples in the stream, but I think that, you know, we, we're a little bit different than a lot of organizations in that we are democratic. We, we elect people as opposed to other ones like OBOT has the chosen chief and OBOT is a fantastic organization. That's not a criticism of them, but, you know, we, we're democratic. And so I think that the ability to make choices like that and the transition of power and that continuance of that of a particular vision, while the vision of ADF may have changed over time, it still has kind of stayed the course. Is your term as arch druid? Do you have a you know specific? You serve five years, and then a new person comes in. You get reelected, or is it you know until someone dies? What's this, is it Supreme Court, or is it <laughs> right? Well, there's the arch druid was originally the the second arch druid or third, I guess, was elected for a nine year term, and they they served for about five and a half years. Nine years is a long time. Yeah. So what they did is they broke that up into the arch druid may serve up to three three-year terms. I'm in my the beginning of my eighth year. Is that right? Eight, mm-hmm. yeah, eighth year. So we have elections and there's a vice archdruid in case I would step down if something would happen to me or whatever the case may be. And they're also elected. And we have a board of directors. The decisions are made by the board of directors, of which Brian is one of them. You know, it's we're, we're democratic. I'm not an autocrat. Um, I don't say this must be this way. You know, I try to rule by consensus. I think it's important. 
So you, you're on your eighth year of Arch Druid. What brought you to that position? What sort of propelled you to serve in that way? What brought me to it is I, you know, I just wanted to get involved. I ran for the um, regional Druid for my area. I ran twice unsuccessfully. And uh, because I'm a Capricorn and a little bit on the stubborn side, I decided to run again. And so I served as a regional Druid for the upper Midwest region, which is nine states in the U.S., and then uh, after, after I did that for a while, I ran it for an office called the Chief of the Council of Regional Druids. As for that, I got on the Mother Grove. And I served on the Mother Grove for a few years and then ran for Vice Arch Druid and served for a number of years there and then, then became an Arch Druid after that. So you've been on the Mother Grove for quite a few years then? I've been on the Mother Grove, I think, since 2009. Wow. So a long time. Yeah. I had dark hair at one point. <laughs> what what is the mother grove because i hear you using different terms with uh, the, the nine different states but what's the mother grove exactly mother grove is our board of directors okay okay so we're a corporation we're a not-for-profit corporation and uh we have nine voting officers fights our arch druid vice arch druid secretary the chiefs of the council of senior druids which is brian chief of the council of regional druid which is one of our australian members and then we have four non-officer directors and that's who makes up the Mother Grove. Approximately how many members do you have worldwide? We have 1,087. Nice. So I just uh, just had that count done. We have our annual meeting coming up in a couple of weeks and we usually put that in there. And we have some LAPS members. So some of those, actually there's 114 LAPS members. So that number could go up as well from that. Mm-hmm. What, um, when you decided to move into that more and more into the Mother Grove and, and different positions, is there a vision? Is there an area of that you wanted to promote or did you have something special in mind? Really a couple of things. I mean, for myself. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've built a practice over the years that I think brings a lot to just my own religious well-being. And so I wanted to share that practice. For me, it's a devotional practice with other people. I think it's one of our strengths. And I think that the way that we look at things with nature spirits and ancestors and shining ones, the gods and goddesses, really encapsulate a lot of the components that we see worldwide in in different religions. One of the things that I really wanted to do, ADF has a phenomenal study program, series of study programs, and I've taken many of those study programs, and I wanted others to see those programs as well and experience them for themselves. I wanted ADF to be a place of civility where people could go and meet and, and, and share 
with a certain amount of, you know, civil behavior. While I'm an American citizen, I'm also a French citizen. So one of the things that was really important to me was that ADF become and embrace its international character. While most of our members are in North America, in, in the States and in Canada, uh, we have members around the world. And I think that's a strength of ours. That's something I, I wanted to promote. and. And really by having members like Brian uh, and our treasurer is Canadian as well, and our chief of the councils of regional Druids is Australian. By having that mixture of people from around the world, I think it really enhances that the vision of global Druidry. I like to talk about what I call the family of Druidry, which is, you know, OBOD members and AODA members and RDNA members and ADF members. We're all Druids. You know, I mean, we may practice differently, but I think that fundamentally at our core, many of the things that we believe are the same. What are some of the changes you've witnessed in ADF over the years since becoming a member? I mean, there's been a lot of changes, honestly. Obviously, I'm not expecting a huge list, but like, what are some of the biggest changes? I think the establishment of a what we call the core order of, of worship uh, or the core order of ritual. We have a standardized ritual format that has evolved over time. We have a standard ritual format that no matter where you go in the world, if you see an ADF ritual, you're going to say, oh, that's an ADF ritual. I was in Brazil a few years ago, and uh, I don't speak Portuguese, but I was able while going through the ritual, it was very obvious to me what was going on because the ritual components and the order of those ritual components, for the most part, are pretty much the same. I think that having you know a core belief system, while we re really are orthopraxic, I think our focus on the ancestors, the nature spirits, and the shining one really make a lot of sense. It's, it's what I see as, as part of how my religious world fits together. While there's no right or wrong way to put those components together, those pieces make sense to me and they fit, they interlock very nicely. I think establishing that kind of format, I think that we've become, as an organization, we've grown up in a lot of ways. I think we've become very transparent as far as organizations go. Um, I think that we, you know, we do a lot of things out in the open, open rituals. You know, our rituals in ADF has, have always been open to the public, where in a lot of religious traditions, there's, they're closed. It's like only our members can attend. But here, there's a very open format that's very easy in Australia, in, in Canada, in, in America. Um, in other countries, it's a little less simple to have open rituals like that, just because the social structures and sometimes the political structures don't lend themselves to it. So I think transparency, easy access to information, and that's something that's really happened recently. You know, Zoom, looking at this, you know, what we're using here, has been a big boon, I think, to anybody because I can attend a ritual in Australia, and I can attend a ritual in the U.S., and I can attend a ritual in Europe, you know, all on the same day, and I, don't, I can sit here at my kitchen table and do that. So I think that accessibility has really been really important as well. You know, we don't really push the message out there. We just have the message hanging around. And, and I think that we try to lead by example and say, here's what our rituals look like. Here, they're on YouTube, here, they're on Zoom, and we want others to see and get some ideas for themselves. I did a festival one time. There was a person there who had 
They're now an ADF priest, but at the time they weren't an ADF member, but they had studied ADF and their ritual style was ADF ritual style. And I was like, wow, that kind of blew my mind because here's somebody independently who just found this and kind of worked it to their own, you know, their in their own way. And I th- thought that that was kind of neat. So accessibility, some common things that we share amongst our, ourselves, like the corridor of ritual, you know, just being there for people wherever they may be. When you say you have open rituals where anybody can come, do you have open online rituals? Yes. During COVID, everything was 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 virtual. And so what a lot a, a number of our groves still have what we call hybrid rituals where people actually attend, uh, but there's also the uh, virtual component. One of the things that we're working on as an organization is putting more of our rituals out there for a broader community. While the virtual fire protogrove that we talked about earlier, our virtual protogrove is open to anyone. Anyone can attend. I mean, most of the people that attend are ADF members, but they're open to anyone. I know that Obad, our you know our other Druid organization that we're familiar with, they do have online rituals that are very nice, and you know we're we're looking to approximate that as well and do it in our world as well. What are some of the struggles ADF has experienced over the years? Things like growing pains or being in America versus Europe. That's a really broad question, so I'll try to narrow it down to a couple of answers. I think that Facebook, that social media has been a big boon for us because it gets the message out. You know, news travels quickly, and sometimes it's hard to respond to to news, and people sometimes hear things may or may not be the the correct interpretation of things, and I think that you can only put a can contain a can of worms in a bigger can sometimes. But I think that some of our bigger challenges have been you know, gaining acceptance outside of the United States. I think that was a really big one uh, because a lot of people would say, well, what's in it for me? Why would I want to do this? If I'm English, why would I want to do, you know, do American Druidry? And our, our, I think our comment to that is it's really not American Druidry. It's international Druidry that just happens to be based in the States. We have some uh, content creators, uh, some some liturgists, uh, in France, especially, I can think of one person, especially, who is creates a phenomenal amount of liturgy uh, in English and French and Breton, of all things. You know, beautifully creative. You know, the, their ability to translate and create content is is really pretty amazing. And so, what really helps in any organization, whether it's ADF or anything, is if. If you have material that's in native languages, it really, really helps. So we have some content in German, some content in French, some content in Breton. The Breton component is, is very, you know, it's very niche. Uh, you know, there's 200,000 uh, native Breton speakers. So it's it's not a large crowd, but nonetheless, it's available. And we do have Breton members. Uh, but having things available in the native languages is something that I'd like to see more of. It's hard to do and hard to do effectively. By offering that, I think it, it makes it very much easier. And it, it, I think it proves to people that, hey, it's not just not just an American thing. Right. We had a, we had a ritual, for example, that was created by solitary members in Europe for Samhain. I think it was last year. So what you have is you have an ADF ritual that's recorded that is in different languages. So this part of the ritual is in English, this part of the ritual is in Spanish, Gaelic, German, French, 
Brenton. Uh, so it's a, it's a conglomeration. It's, it's a beautiful example of, you know, what international Jewry looks like. You know, I think other things that we've, some of the challenges that we've had is, um, you know, member numbers go up and down. I think that's, uh, we've seen with the pandemic that, you know, there are variations in numbers of religious organizations and it, it can be seen in a number of ways. It can be seen as a negative or you're losing members or, you know, there's, there's many challenges that we face. It's just a question of facing them with grace, I believe. Right. Is there any any memorable moments since becoming Archdruid that sort of stand out in your head? Let me think about that. When I became Archdruid, I uh, I broke my arm right before I became Archdruid. <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't anything glorious like mountain climbing. I was roller skating, trying to learning to roller skate, and I fell and broke my arm. When I was elevated, I had you know, I had my arm in a cast. It was kind of limiting because I'm right-handed and, you know, I had this thing here I couldn't type very well. But, uh, I mean, that was a memorable moment. But really traveling abroad has been, uh, I do a lot of traveling as Arch Druid. I like to go out and meet people because I think it's nice to put a face to to the organization. Going to Brazil was a really amazing experience. Going to Australia was an experience. And here's the big reason why. In each of those cases, I celebrated Samhain here in the States. And then two or three days later, I celebrated Beltane on the other side of the equator. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and so that was, it really gave me a different view of, of the high days. Because before then I was like, yep, yeah, it's Beltane. But now I really understand, you know, especially since the Earth Mother is a very important part of our practice and our, the way we look at things. I understand <laughs> that the Earth Mother and, and just the Earth in general is really not all that northern hemisphere or not all that southern hemisphere but really this constantly moving blend of the two so those those were powerful moments i ordained our first german priest that was a phenomenal experience i mean to see many of these members uh german members who are dressed up in very interesting local costumes regalia and seeing them come together with such joy uh to see one of our people be ordained i went to the obad summer gathering a few years ago when i first became arch druid and just to be received so nicely by philip cargum and by the entire organization was really really nice it really made me understand and believe even more in that that family of Druidry thing. But just, you know, getting together, I've gone to some small rituals of people that were so profound and so powerful. You know, there's just so many different ways of looking at, at the work that we do. And, um, you know, I'm blessed that I've got, gotten to see it, honestly. Young people, new to paganism, tell us what ADF, why they should look in the ADF. I think the ADF presents a um, an interesting Druidic practice. And I think that we we have a couple of introductory programs. We have this thing called the Dedican program, which is in kind of a year and a day. It's really not a year and a day, but I like to say a year and a day. A year and a day program, it's a year-long series of studies. We also have this program called the Hearthkeeper's Way. And what the Hearthkeeper's Way is, it's a free program available to members or non-members that basically takes you through our practice and uh, gives you example prayers and rituals and, you know, things all across the spectrum from the moons to the high days to all points in between. It's available in PDF form. I think that it, it, it allows people to take a look at our practice in, in pieces and, and, you know, 
to see how it, it applies to them or appeals to them. We have some so we have a social media presence. We're on we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and Instagram and and um, Discord as well as e lists, which most young people aren't going to be on e lists, but um, <laughs> we do have a presence. And I think that we we try to make more of a presence for ourselves. We have a lot of stuff on YouTube, uh, so people can can kind of see what we do before you know jumping into it. The Hearthkeeper's Way, I think, is a really, really good way to get in there and take a good look at things. I think that's a great suggestion because one of the things that we hear a lot from people is that there is a lot of information out on social media. And and if you're new, it's hard to sift through what's valuable and what isn't. And and offering that free program to members and non-members, I, I really think that's fabulous because to have a group like ADF have that quality of material available for people. That's wonderful. Yeah. I agree with you. I really mean, I'm biased obviously, but I think that it is a really good way because it's, it's, um, you know, social media allows you to experience individuals or, or events. Um, but it's, it's not really always in context where I think this hearth keepers way, for example, is totally within context. It's, it's this whole approach to things. And um, it's, a, it's a good way to get to know us. So you're on your eighth year. You've got a year to go. Where do you see EDF going in the future? I, I think it will continue. I think that there's, um, there's always new things to do. Um, and, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to foster an, an, an attitude and a, of openness to other groups and say, you know, come here this is a safe place for you to be. And I'm trying to also, and others to, to, as I said, lead by example, to show people how we do devotional practices. Uh, because I think that's ultimately, um, it's about what you do. And we all have different ways of doing those things. So I do a daily devotional practice, but that's just what I do. I, and others don't do daily devotional practice. They may do it twice a year, but I think it's the idea is, you know, we, we really think that it's important to build relationships with the spirits in our lives, the nature spirits, the shining ones, the ancestors. And, and the more that you build a relationship with them, the more you, you, you get to know them, the more they get to know you. And I think the more it falls into place and it, it seems cogent. Because, it, I mean, if you're, if you're doing a practice all the time and nothing comes of it, there's not a, there's not a feedback loop. There's not something that you get back from it. It's easy to get discouraged. And, uh, but with any religious practices, you know, there's the element of faith. You know, I don't think anybody does this, but I think those who, you know, come into an organization or a path and expect the skies to open up and magic to happen constantly, um, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, at least that's not my experience in the, you know, in the physical world. Does magic happen? Absolutely. Is it subtle? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I think that's, um, I think it's about putting stuff out, putting things out there, letting people see what we do and then seeing what they do. Uh, that's what I love about this virtual fire protogrope is there's a ritual every week 
you can't help but learn something because people really take, you know, the, the things that we do and change them in little ways. And those little ways, it's like this aha moment every now and then. It's not like I've said, oh, I've seen it all. I don't have to watch anymore. That's not the case. You know, I learned something from them and hopefully they, you know, somebody learned something from me as well. Yes, we have a, have a name for those moments. We've come to call them sometimes, refer to them as piffs. They're not quite an epiphany. But you get these piffs every now and then that just motivate you and keep you going. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's the little things, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I just, there, are, there are times that I, I go for a run every day and I run through the forest. And um, there, are, there are times where, you know, I see the same tree every day. But there are other times where I see something a little bit different. And oh, it's, those okay. little, it's those differences that make a big difference. So thank you very, very much, Drum, for, for talking with us. I, I found it very, uh, I didn't realize about how all over the world you were and how many different, many different uh, cultures. And it didn't matter if you were British Isles because here in Nova Scotia, very Nova Scotia is new, means, means New Scotland, you know, in Latin or whatnot. So we tend to think that traditionally that Druidism comes from British Isles, but the fact that you're all over, I think that's really, really wonderful. I didn't know that. And so I'd like to thank you very much for being with us and hopefully we'll, we'll talk with you or see you again. And I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. And if you have any questions or comments for us, you can certainly uh, contact us on our Facebook page. We're always looking for new ideas or, you know, constructive, polite criticism and all of that and, and suggestions, which is nice. And Drum, certainly feel free to contact us anytime. And I believe, Brian, are you going to be putting the contact information for ADF? Oh, yes. Yeah, it'll all be, be in the there show notes. Because I think the idea that we can go to open rituals with you, that's very, very interesting. Hello, beloved listeners and patrons of Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. We would like to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude for your unwavering support of our podcast. With your encouragement, we have been able to explore and celebrate the rich and diverse world of paganism and spirituality. We feel blessed to have had the opportunity to share our knowledge and experiences with you. As we continue to grow and evolve, we invite you to join us on this journey and become a Patreon member of our podcast. Your contribution will help us to continue creating quality content and provide you with more exciting episodes filled with wisdom, insights, and a little enchantment. By becoming a Patreon member, you will not only support our mission, but you will also have access to exclusive content, behind-the-scenes goodies, discounts, and much, much more. Together, we can create a thriving and supportive community. To our amazing Patreons who have been there to support us through the past three seasons, Sybil, Josie, Catherine, Nicole, Amy Beth, Tomlin, Samantha, Stephanie, Chris, Ramos, 
Eric, Karen, Highland Horde, Danny, Tania, Sarah, Kay, Linda, and Jennifer. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of our three witches and a druid family. Let us continue to inspire and uplift each other and may our collective energy bring light and love to the world. So until next time, everybody, uh, merry meet. Merry part. Merry part. Merry meet again. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you. This has been Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.